Welcome to It's All Political, the San Francisco Chronicles political podcast. I'm Joe Garofoli, the San Francisco Chronicles senior political writer. And today on the podcast, we have the moderator of Meet the Press, Chuck Todd, and NBC's political director. Uh, Chuck is going to be in uh, lovely San Jose on Tuesday, where he will be moderating the gubernatorial debate. So we're talking to to him about that. We talked to him about a whole bunch of stuff. It's a, it's a great chat. We're talking about East Coast media bias. We're talking about the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Should it be spiked? Uh, we talk about diversity of the guests on Meet the Press. We're talking about uh, Senator Kamala Harris. Does she have a, a shot to be president? We're talking about all this on It's All Political. Chuck, thanks for being on It's All Political. Welcome. Happy to do it. Okay, so how did you get hooked up as the moderator for uh, Tuesday's gubernatorial debate here in San Jose? Well, I was at um, our affiliate uh, in, a, in, a Zan- in San Jose reached out to us. Um, I certainly am always interested in, in anytime I can help participate, um, help out state contests with debates um, uh, for Senate races gubernatorial races in general. I'm always very interested in it. And this was a case where our affiliate was looking um, looking for uh, a, a create an event that would get everybody to show up. And there hey, you go. We've got the first we got, we got the first gubernatorial debate where everybody shows up, including he, Mr. Newsom. Well, so we have we've had a, we've had a few where they've shown up. And but yes, I think yeah. you did uh, draw Newsom back into back onto the podium. Back into the back into the podium. <laughs> yes, he's he's taken a few off. He's uh, been sitting in the Rose Garden for a while. Front runners, front runners get the—they uh, have the ability to get away with that, don't they? Yes, yes, yes. Um, so I'm always fascinated to hear what what Washington's impression is of, of things, you know, out here in the world's sixth largest economy. It, this race is kind of barely starting to come on the radar here. It's and, funny uh, you say that because I get that same sense too, and I don't know why that is. There should be more of a. This is a baton change. This is a sea change. This is perhaps a generational change. I mean. You know, you can't, you know, the sh- the shadow of Jerry Brown is going to go away for the first time in my lifetime in California. I- I'm just surprised this isn't become a more galvanizing race, and I'm surprised it hasn't attracted even more people to run. It's just been, it's been interesting to me that it's taken so long to sort of get started. How much of that do you think is an as- almost an assumption, and, and, the, and the early polls certainly bear that out, and, mm-hmm. the, and the state's demographics bear that out, is that this is going to be... A passing of the baton from one Democrat to another, most likely. I think that's everything. I think that's the whole thing. I think the fact that, and look, and who knows, maybe the top two dynamic um, creates it where there's it's a Democrat versus Democrat uh, situation. Mm-hmm. We'll see. And, and you know, that was the whole point of, of going to this um, sort of multi-party system was a way to create more competition, even even in areas where of the state where they're ideologically didn't perceive to be competition and maybe that plays out on the state level but i do think there's a lot to that i think the fact that that it isn't clear the republican that there is a republican nomination to get that there isn't a you know we're not seeing the other thing that this isn't letting happen is neither party is having its debate about what it should be 
right? Instead, because of the top two dynamic, you're getting everybody is sort of it's every candidate for themselves. Um, and certainly you have some sub primaries taking place underneath, but it's so complicated because of the multi-candidate situation and the top two dynamic that, they, that it isn't a clean way that you can, you know, just make the play. I'm your Republican or I'm your business oriented candidate or I'm your libertarian. It just makes it very tricky to campaign that way. And I, and I, I tell you, it, it, it will, over, it does sort of erode the importance of party right now. It does, and the, the parties hate this system. And I've heard you in, in the past, this is probably going back a couple of years ago, refer to it as California's crazy jungle primary. Do you, do you still <laughs> feel that way, uh, or do you... Oh, no, I, but I don't mean it like a negative. I just yeah. think it's, it's unique. It's different. Yeah. I've, look, Louisiana has, uh, and, and Washington State have always been, you know, have done a lot of jungle primaries off and on over the years and have fought them in different ways. And um, I think Washington State's is top two for the two, you know, by party, you know, they, they take the top, everybody's on one ballot, but it's the top R versus the top D. Mm-hmm. And who knows, maybe over time, they, they, this is, this is what will happen here. But um, it, it, it does, I think it, put it this way, I think it's going to take away from some of the debates because you don't get the clean of, you know, like I think it's interesting, this little debate between Newsom and Villaraigosa on school funding and our charter schools. But it's not going to be a clean divide between the two of them because at the same time, it, it, you know, would be a Ragosa would be pushing this as hard if he weren't trying to also woo some soft Republicans. Right. So you think some you people know, might be putting on a different uh, sort exactly. of putting on something else uh, just to, to appeal to a, a narrow sliver no, of voters. Yeah. Understandable. OK, yeah. I mean, look, you've got at the end of the day, these are the rules that you have to play by in order to in order. And, and the nomination is simply just. First or second place. So you have to figure out what's good enough to get me to 20. You know, I don't know what the number is for second place is going to be. Is it 25? Is that the magic number? Is it 30? You know, I my gut is it somewhere in the mid 20s. Yeah. Is what second is what second place is going to be? You know, that Newsom's going to sit there somewhere in the mid 30s. And the, the expectation um, is that a Republican is going to get 41 percent of the, the the votes cast. That Republicans. Well, get Republicans, yes, Republicans. Yes, yes. yes. Plural. And the question is, will John Cox get enough of the lion's share that it, that it's enough for second place? Yeah. So when I moved to, to California 26 years ago, I was dubious about this whole concept of the uh, what I started hearing was the East Coast media bias. <laughs> oh and, my uh, God! It's so, I'm a Dodger fan. I grew up in the East Coast, and just as a sports fan, I can tell you the East Coast bias thing is true. It is true. It's tell so me, well, how do you see it expressed? As a sports fan. Oh, look. Not 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 sports fans because I'm sick of Red Sox and Yankees on no, national but, TV. Well, but, that's, but, well, that's exactly no, but that's where you see it the most, right? That's number one. But number two, it's like I, I get it. Like it, it feels like you get three hour old news sometimes uh, on the on the West Coast. And look, I think we're better about it than ever before. And I know we at NBC, we we do our best to try to update. But notice, we you know I, I understand that there isn't California's the biggest state in the union, but there isn't a national newscast that's that's from the California perspective first, right? right? If you do all your newscasts out of New York, we, the East Coast is just going to be the East Coast, right? It's going to be, and, and look, part of that is the capitals there. I've always wondered, would we have, would, would there be less East Coast bias at the capital of the United States if the seat of government were actually centrally located in this country, mm. right? Like, you know, the point of all state capitals, and the point of all capitals is you want them centrally located. 
and you know people always ask me well well dc's not centrally located well it was when it was just 13 states right you know right. that was centrally i think it would just still like, be I, given I human nature it would be still be like a yeah. 30 mile radius around the capital whatever wherever yeah, even yeah. it was in omaha but so but, what about yeah, like a story true, like the homelessness still have a better, yeah. like but, the homelessness is a story and, you know, uh, Garcetti wants to run for national office, but, you know, he's got 50,000 homeless people on the streets. Here in San Francisco, we have seven, 8,000. There are 10 cities like the Third World in Oakland and Portland and Seattle. We don't see a lot of that on the national news. Why, why do you think that is? It, I think it's because while the homeless issue is a growing, it's certainly, it's not just something that's happening on the West Coast, okay? Mm-hmm. You walk the streets of Washington, D.C., and you know, I've, I think part of it is that there are laws in San Francisco, in, in California. I think this light that, that you feel as if you, you can survive. It's easier to survive homeless. I think it, there's part of it that it may be that, right? There may be, you just feel like, well, maybe it's the warmth, maybe it's whatever. So there may be something to that geographically that's, that, that, that's a reason for it. You could also make a larger argument here, which is, the, the cost of living yes. in California is so exorbitant. And even though it's the cost of living in Boston and New York and Washington, D.C. is as high as ever and rivals your San Francisco's when it comes to cost of living outside of there, you don't have it as much. So I think I think we I think the problem is on the East Coast, the homeless population is in a working homeless population on the West Coast. It's a working homeless population, which takes oh, yeah. more alarming. And people living near their neighborhoods. Uh, while we're talking East Coast uh, bias, we have to talk about the White House Correspondents' Dinner, which is the, my, the annual event. That's you know, we don't. Yes, you know, no, we, we do. Don't have we have to. I just, we do. What did you? <laughs> I'm just telling you. You know, nobody's making you. <laughs> <laughs> that's an excellent point, but it's, a, it's something that's it's, it's, it's stuck in my craw every time around this year. What did you, I mean... Two things. What did you think of Michelle Wolf said? I know some of your colleagues were offended by it and want to think that uh, Sarah Sanders gets an apology. What do you think of that? And, and should this thing even continue? Well, look, I, let me just give you a little context of the dinner. Okay, I, I think it's a relic from the from a from an era that doesn't exist. Okay, and I, I would I would say to this, and anybody that's listening, every city, every town has has its big events of local interest. You know, it's a big fundraising dinner for something, and it, and it usually involves whatever the local industry is. I'm sure the tech community has one that everybody likes to come out for once a year. And, you know, you have, some of them are more well-known than others in the Hollywood community, think all of those different awards shows sure. and things like that. And there was a time the White House Correspondents' Dinner was simply a, a big event locally for the town, for the company town. Mm-hmm. It, when it got nationalized, when it, when it became, when reporters started inviting celebrity okay yeah. that was sort of step one in its in its road to irrelevance um when it started to get televised i know c-span thought it was doing a service uh, i guess um they need something a, entertaining on is, c-span they come on yeah this didn't need to be on tv and now of course all the cable channels televise it why is this te- the minute it becomes televised you've nationalized this dinner so then it's look it is off the rails of what it was supposed to be but i'm but but you know, if the press wants to have it to dinner, have the dinner. I think including the president, it felt like a something to do in a bygone era. Right now, it doesn't feel right. As for Michelle Wolf's performance, she's a comedian. She was hired to do her stand-up. This isn't about her. This is about the White House Correspondents Association deciding to hire a comedian. And, and, not, and the comedian, whether they like it or not, is going to be seen as a stand-in for the press corps. Because mm-hmm. the press corps invited this comedian. 
you know, so, I would you do you do anything by differently? My, my point is, is that it's a stand up routine. Um, whether it was the most appropriate stand up routine for that moment in this time, um, I would have I would have invited a different style of comedian knowing what was what the what the situation was. Like who? Like I would a... have, I'd have invited Dana Carvey. I'd have gone back to somebody like that, somebody who's funny, but somebody who's a bit of a throwback to the, to, you know, a, a little more of a veteran comedian who, um, who, who comes from an era that always felt the idea of balancing your jokes. Mm. Um, I would have, I would have gone, if you're going to stick to the comedian route, I, I would, I'd have, like I said, I'd have gone Dana Carvey. He's an impressionist, but he's a happy he always was a happy warrior when he when he hit when he hit politicians, um, but that's the point. Go with, you know, read the room, mm. read the moment here, and and so I, I I don't I don't think Michelle Wolf deserves any criticism. It's not her fault. She was hired to do a job. If you watch her stand up, this is no different. And 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 when you hire somebody that that this is going to be among their bigger gigs all year, you know they're gonna see what's in the best interest of her so I, I i don't put this on her i put this on the the decision to hire her did they not do enough did they not know what her routine would be did they not know which she was i mean did they not did anybody watch her stand up so i'm not going to sit here and criticize her for what she did she's an artist this is what she does for a living mm -hmm. this was the set of expectations going in if, if if the association and press corps don't like it it's the show it's on the association it's not on michelle wall one big change I've noticed to Meet the Press, more th I, I, I'll give you credit for this, more so than the other sh Sunday shows. I'm a, I'm a regular Meet the Press podcast listener. Of, uh, oh, thank you. There you go. Is the diversity of the guests. I mean, uh, if, if I know Russert gets a lot of love for his, for his fine tenure there. But, I mean, mm -hmm. in his era, 80% of guests were white guys. That is a stat. And it was like McCain and Lindsey Graham were on every week. And David Broder was on 400 times. What did you do? To diversify the um, the the um, your guests and uh, both both the journalists and the uh, you know the the politicos and other so folks who come on and I, how do you feel you're doing and 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 do you keep stats about that? Um, look, I have a few sort of um, what I would call touchstones that I say it's like I, I just don't believe any panel of four. It, it, it's absurd to me that if you can't do uh, two men and two women. Like I just, I, I, I if I ever, it, it just, at a minimum, it should be 50-50. If I've ever not been 50-50 so far, it's been three women to one man. I'm the, I'm the, I, you know, as a moderator, I'm the second guy always there anyway. So the, then it's three to two versus three, you know. So for me, the, 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 the beginning piece is gender diversity. And I don't want any week where there's just four white people there. Um, it's not what the country looks like. It's not how our politics are conducted. It's not how, I mean, but I also believe it's not just an appearance in diversity. I am trying to, and, and it's not always an automatic, just, there's just a left and there's just a right. We know there are degrees, you know, look, diversity among people that call themselves conservatives, there's Trump conservatives. Yes. And then there's people that, that call themselves, you know, never Trump or conservative, you know, so you, you, so one of the things I've tried to do is, is try to, ha is, no one week do I have perfect diversity when it comes to ideology, geography, ethnicity, gender. But the goal is every week to have some of it represented every week. 
so that there's always a sense that there's multiple point of views, either via gender, via race, via ideology, via geography. I think one of the we, we just started this with an East Coast, West Coast thing. You know, the biggest challenge I have, and I'd say the biggest place where I've fallen short is on geographic diversity. Yeah, I was going to say, that's um, one thing, thing Jan, because yeah. not, not a lot of people no, west of Alexandria are coming in. No, it, it's hard, and a lot of it is, is, you know, location, 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 getting people. I mean, I, I, we have a whole, I have a whole list of people that live west of the Mississippi who we try to get on. You know, it, scheduling it is, is hard, mm-hmm. you know, for obvious reasons. Travel is, is you know, you know, is it's much easier to book somebody from the East Coast uh, and, and reliably so. So, look, some of this is logistics um, that, that get it there. But I would say that's it's a concern. Look, I believe in it. Um, I believe that that's sort of my one of my jobs was to was to take meet the press and take it to the 21st century, um, both in look, in feel, and in the way people. Um, consume meet the press i mean i love that you said well i listen to it all the time in the podcast you know great and i hope some people get it on the ott you know if they cut their cable and they get it on their roku or some people <laughs> do the old-fashioned way and watch it sunday morning right. you know i mean that that's that's sort of uh, you know among i think the, the the challenges i had when they offered when they when they did the yes and no commercials on the podcast that's why i like it um oh. the uh, the theme of this year's white house correspondence dinner was freedom of the press and now some you've heard the, the conservatives say that some of their their free speech is being chilled by these advertiser boycotts. A lot of them are driven by progressive groups. That uh, Sean Hannity has felt one recently, uh, and Laura Ingram. What do you think about these advertiser boycott drives? Do you think they chill freedom of the speech? Freedom of speech. Um, well, I could tell you the impact it seems to have. You know, they they work. They'll continue to be used if they continue to have an impact on um, these companies. And I think what you've seen is that companies um, basically react out of fear, right? Like out of just trying to do no harm, trying to mitigate mitigate attention. And so my fear is that the boycott threat gets used in a demog- more like a de- in a demagogic way. Apologies for making up a word there. There we go. But meaning, um, because corporations just fear controversy, they just run away from this stuff. Oh my God, um, Breitbart did that. All right, fine. We'll just stop advertising on Breitbart for now, or we're just going to stop doing that. And it just it's been easy to kowtow these companies. Um, now, part of it is I do think you do have a generation. You know, part of this maybe we're just having a cultural change where people are are, are aligning their their financial interests with their political interests. Okay, we haven't had that. I, you and I, I think, grew up at a time where that wasn't the case, right? There was there was always some separation between the two. Right. Um, it, it may be millennials have moved in that direction. So there's part of me that that says, okay, this is just sort of a short-term phenomenon. This is sort of the power of social media allows you to to express yourself instantly, and more and more companies are realizing these controversies die down after three to five. You know, if you just sort of if you just sort of put your head down, um, grin and bear it, you know, the media culture will move on from targeting you. But let's see. But the, but there is more evidence, whether it's in the way people invest. Like I've noticed, more companies wanting to showcase to shareholders that they're trying to do good with their profits and you know 
So there certainly is a mindset among millennials to align their political beliefs and their financial interests. And if that continues to be a growing trend, then maybe this boy, maybe we will see more boycotts. What do you think it has an effect on, on free speech? Uh, do you think it has, uh, as, as some folks are alleging? Um, I, it would, it does, I don't know. And that's the thing. Has it, does Sean Hannity not say certain things? Does Laura Ingram not say certain things because they fear an advertiser boycott? Like that to me, if that is happening, if they claim, you know, I guess then you could say, I don't know if we have evidence that that's happening. Mm -hmm. I understand the fear of it. And I do think that I do think corporations have allowed themselves to be overbullied. But I don't think that it's actually had a effect yet um, on what people say. Look, I think the bigger thing that's happened to um, human behavior is social media. Like, I think we do not. We look at social media as, oh, my God, it's had a huge impact on politics and it's had a huge impact on, on, you know, how our kids communicate or it's had a huge impact on Hollywood or on sports. And I'm sitting there going, this has changed human behavior. This is like losing. This is like losing our pink. All of a sudden, everybody's being born without a pinky toe. Like we've had this. We're, we we are we have changed the way we talk to each other. We interact with each other. Or, or don't talk to each we, other. Yeah. Or don't talk to each other. So I, I I sort of like the boycott is a small. This is the larger behavioral change that social media has brought about, where we're now conditioned to always be concerned. Whether you're a famous person or, a no, or an anonymous person, you're always concerned about how you're perceived. And, and, and if we're so consumed with perception, thanks to social media now in our lives, well, then that, that, then that is going to have an impact, not just on advertiser dollars. It's going to have an impact on where, where, you know, where your grocery shop or where you, you know what I mean? Like people are going to feel as if they're being judged by everything they do in their lives. And that, that to me is the scariest. Like, you know, I've watched one too many Black Mirror episodes, perhaps, but, <laughs> which is a um, fabulous show. It's a great show, and I think every millennial ought to see it. So we, you, you, you can see the fears, the 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 dystopian view of how technology could be disastrous. Look, it's unlikely to be a disaster, but it's good to know the threat is there, and you need to see it. It is it, 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 so as a way to curtail your own behaviors, you know, your your worst instincts. So I, I see it as a. I hope people watch it. That's sort of like with a oh this is why I need to change the way I yes especially the pig episode as we know we'll leave it at, we'll leave that well, pig episode leave at it that. at oh, look, we'll, it's we episode won't. one yeah this <laughs> is what I always say to people episode one episode. It, it is it, if you if if it you're either in or you're out <laughs> yes <laughs> you know? if, that, if the, this show is not for you if you can't handle the pig episode correct correct okay. uh, oh God, I gotta ask you about your one of your colleagues uh, Tom Brokaw where are you at he was recently. For those who have not been following the news, he's recently accused of sexual misconduct by a, a, a former colleague from, this is going back 24 years. Um, and uh, I wanted to see, number one, uh, I, don't, I don't know if you've signed the, the letter uh, supporting Tom or not, and also what, what should be done, and should the, how should the network investigate this, an outside investigator or inside? What, where, where are you at on, on Brokaw? Uh, honestly, I'm in a... Uh, He's a personal friend. Yeah. And so yeah. I'm not going to, I, I, I think anything I say here is going to get clouded by that. So I, I really want to sort of not say anything yet. I think, um, I, I, let me just talk about the Me Too movement in general. I think we, as a society, we have to figure out 
what what you know what's the difference between a parking ticket and a jail sentence? Um, what is what is culturally acceptable behavior 30 years ago and acceptable being I want to put that in quotes. I'm not going to sit yes. here. You know what was sort of a fireable offense today? What wasn't 30 years ago? Does that need to matter? And I'm not saying that. I, I, and again, I don't want to. I'm not judging this situation. My point is, is that we have to figure out what are, you know, what, which, which, which norms do we need to redo and reassess, and which ones are we just going to evolve over time? I mean, I sort of look at it um, in the way drug use was stigmatized in this country and then it was less stigmatized generationally. Mm -hmm. We're now doing a sort of a reverse thing here, I guess, here, which is sort of the interactions between men and women in the workplace and what the lines were, what the lines are now. Um, I think a lot of that is evolving. I think millennials are setting the rules. I think baby boomers and some Gen Xers maybe don't like the rules, the unofficial rules millennials may be setting. But they're setting them, and I think and that they are. There are better rules. I mean, they. they that's right. Yeah, no, they're, no, no, they're no. Better it's rules, better yeah. for women. It's better for diversity. But any time we've had different rules set in, there's always the older generation sort of gets. Look, it's like, it's like Bob Byrd signing on to civil rights legislation. He was a member of the KKK. Mm-hmm. Like when do when when do you when when do you stop punishing him for being a member of the KKK? If he if he ends up being somebody at the end of the day that is in favor of civil rights, that is in favor. And and, and again, different people are assess, assess his legacy with different in a different subjective way. And that's my point here is that I, I, I think I don't want to get involved. This one has a classic. He said, she said, I'm mm-hmm. friends with one person. I don't know the other person. I was not here when when the other person worked here. So I, I am not a fair arbiter. That's why I don't want to specifically say anything on Tom, other than this is my friend. Yeah. And you've spoken to him about um, this since I, I've met I, I, You know, he, he is my friend. I don't want to get into any, any private conversations I've had. I'd like, you know, at the end of the day, uh, my personal thing at the end of the day is between Mr. and Mrs. Brokaw. Um, and I think the news decision is, the news division will decide whether this is something that rises to something that needs to be dealt with by this culture. I mean, one thing I will say is, um, I am not a fan of people that like to talk about the culture of NBC that haven't worked here in seven, eight, 10, 15 years. That's all I will say. They are not the best character witnesses about the culture that's currently here today at NBC. That's all I will say. Okay. One more thing. My point is that this week, this culture is, this is the culture that's described to me in various ways that people on the outside want to describe. is not the culture that I experienced today at NBC. And and, or, or have ever, because you've been there what, since how many years? Been here 10 years. 10 years. Here 10 years. So it hasn't been there in the 10 years you've been there. Look, it's a different 10 years. I've, yeah. It's a different generation. I've, I, I, you know, so I can't speak to television, uh, the culture of the TV news business before 2007. Okay. One more thing I want to ask you before I let you go. And again, thanks for taking the time in the middle of your day there. Mm-hmm. Um, what, you know, you, you're for, we were, we were laughing a couple minutes ago about the California's jungle primary. And what question do you have about California politics that you don't understand? That you're just like, what the hell is going on out there? Well, I, I guess I would, I mean, it's not a, it's not a what the hell, but I would, and this has been over time. 
how Southern California lost its influence mm-hmm. in politics. Like, I think the biggest, it's interesting to me how, and part of that has to do with the power of the Democratic, the rise of the Democratic Party and the heart of the Democratic Party being in Northern California, right? And the heart of the Republican Party historically was always in Southern California. Now it's not really there anymore. So it's that changing dynamic. Mm-hmm. But it, it to me, it's, it's, um, it feels as if Southern California continues to be sort of on the outside looking in on the state politics, right, and on its interest. And um, why has Southern California political hasn't been able to figure out how to how to? And again, I think part of it has to do with the 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 sort of the erosion of the Republican Party, right, and its relevance, and the loss of the Republican Party in general as being a relevant player in, in, in its in, in sort of state government has left, I think, Southern California without any, without really anybody looking out for, for its interest in Sacramento. And that, to me, it's sort of like, why has Southern California struggled? You know, why have Southern California Democrats struggled to create a, um, an alternative to the, to, to the, you know, taking advantage of the potential north-south dynamic there? Yeah, and that's so well, nobody I've votes there. Also, the, the voter, the, well, the LA turnout is dreadful. Sure, that you always hear that nobody votes. I've heard yeah. that excuse back when yeah. I grew up in Florida. It was the same thing. All the population was in South Florida, but all the votes were in North Florida. You know, I mean, it it's not a it's not a unique thing. But at some point, you would think that there would be more of a concerted effort by the Southern California Democrats to try to 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 care about this issue. And and you know, if anything, they all seem to still fight each other. <laughs> Oh, and uh, one more uh, that question about national player, uh, uh, Senator Kamala Harris, who is uh, n- uh, now drawing, uh, she's actually uh, sort of on the radar in New Hampshire. Um, what uh, do you think she has a, a shot at, uh, what are her challenges if she runs for president? Uh, Look, I think the challenges for all these new candidates, I think it's, whether it's Kamala Harris, Kamala Harris Eric Garcetti, um, being your two Californians there, I'll just use those two as an example. Um, look, the, the Democratic Party is going to have sort of multiple dynamics in that primary, right? You're going to have you're going to have some older names, whether it's Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Joe Biden, who are going to be in one column. You're going to have the people that are arguing for fresh faces. Then you're going to have the people that are arguing for electability over a progressive push. You know, there's going to be so many different divides. And I think the question is going to be what candidate can sort of unite if you think there's four divides inside the Democratic Party, which candidate can cover two of them, right? <laughs> which candidate can sort of be the, be the, you know, so if, I think, look. Just Kamala progressive has, enough, but yet uh, palatable right, to right. Iowa. Yeah. Right. So there's, you know, the question, I find it interesting that she's already being tagged as not progressive enough, which if I'm her, I'm happy about because you don't, I don't think you want to be seen as the most liberal or most conservative of any nominee i, I don't think that that'll be a problem coming from san francisco she will <laughs> she, no. she's got her bona fides well, here yeah well that's right it's like well it's like nancy pelosi everybody outside of san francisco thinks she's too liberal in san francisco everybody thinks yeah, she's, she's too kind conservative of, right? kind of middle yeah. of the road yeah <laughs> right exactly same with newsom yeah he's a socialist right. in the rest of the country but here he's like meh he was kind of chamber and, of commerce and, when he was mayor and so i think that look i all of these I don't write off Harris. I don't write off Garcetti. Um, I think everybody's going to get a moment to have their tires kicked. I think the voters are going to, Democratic voters are going to shop. They're looking for a, I do think they're looking for a winner, but they want to look for a winner that they're inspired by. And I think what, what 
that's going to be the interesting dynamic is who's got the I think charisma is going to matter a lot here because I think Democratic voters are going to be looking for somebody that can not just talk the talk, but but sort of be their representative pushing back on on the Trump era and all those things. And so that'll be the interesting challenge for Kamala Harris is I think she's she's doing the behind behind the scenes stuff very well, getting to know donors, getting to know the power players. Uh, I'm very curious to see when she starts to um, take on an issue and become front and center on a, on a big issue. She's yet to do that yet. She will. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming she will if she's serious about running for president. I'm curious to see what issue she picks. Right. Because that will define her. That will define her candidacy early, that this is what she wants to be. That, that you know, When people think of her, they want to think of issues like X. Right. That's what I'm curious to see. Garcetti, he's already sort of putting himself out there as the person, hey, you know, why not a mayor? You know, do you sure you want some your traditional politician? I know, I but Chuck, the think about the attack. The first attack adds easy. You, you, you pan the 50,000 homeless in the street, and you said, this is the mayor? This is, this no, is the and, Alec, and, Eric and, Artis, By the way, and, yeah. and it, this means his other, the larger problem, though. He comes from a weak mayor environment. Yeah. It's not, not his fault that the L.A. system it basically means that the mayor is more is essentially no, no more powerful than any other um, commissioner. Yeah. But and th- and that certainly doesn't help t- tell a story. But he's got a cr- he's dynamic. He's charismatic. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, again, look, <laughs> I, if if Trump proves anything, it, it's it's that I think a lot of people are going to get their uh, are going to get their chance to have a moment. All right. Chuck, thanks for this moment. We appreciate it. We will yeah, see you on Tuesday. Hopefully we can chat afterwards. We, we might do a little post-game there. And, and, uh, I like it. And thanks for taking the time to be on It's All Political. As you know, everything. Thank it's all much. political. All right, man. I'd like to thank Chuck Todd for spending a few moments with us here on today's podcast. I'd like to thank Fernando Diaz, the Chronicle's managing editor for digital, for producing today's podcast. And remember, whether you're a member of the East Coast media elite or just a political junkie listening to a podcast, it's all political. <laughs>